podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Daner and Dave Ninimitz. It's Daner and Dave Ninimitz. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast Growlin'. Paul Andrew Jr., Dave Minimitz of The Athletic are with you on a Tuesday, which is our normal slot, Dave. But some would say you could have, you know, back in the day, you, maybe you would have the, the emergency sirens and horns going off for like the emergency yeah. podcast yeah. because because this the news news happened within the last 12 I guess we're 12, maybe maybe 16 hours from where we're recording this, yeah. where, where Brian Callen went to the Titans. So I, no, I don't want to do any any alarms that are loud uh, for people. It's already jarring enough. Well, I appreciate you respecting my advance rest early in the evening and not calling upon me to do that. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm old. Yeah. It's- <laughs> so late night, late night surprise pods. It could be the death of me. Yeah. No, I'm not... I, I don't want to kill you off. I we we need to we need to be able to do this. I can't kill you now. <laughs> We've come this far, Dave. Plus, I was watching Joel and B go off for seventy. Oh, so you know, yeah, you fun. are. As a random seventy yeah. sixers fan, it's nice. I to am have I, that. I'm wearing the hat right now. You are you are wearing the hat. I cannot believe uh, this is gonna. What people are like? Can you talk about Callahan already? <laughs> But I, I can, I just want to say that I cannot believe that Kobe's eighty-one was eighteen years ago. I know. I, I remember like, vividly watching yeah. that. Like I still remember where I was, who I was with. I lost like a seventy dollars in a poker game that night. I remember it clearly. <laughs> and then here, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, that was eighteen years ago." Yeah. Unbelievable. It All right. drives me nuts when I hear things like that. So we've now twice reiterated, you're old, I'm old, we're old. Thanks for listening to Hear Those Olds Growling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there is news, though. Uh, we're going to talk about Brian Callahan. We're going to talk about the offensive coordinator position. We're going to talk about a bunch. Mo Eggers is going to join us, of course, and and we're going to kind of dissect all of this as you guys have uh, questions and have got some insight from how this all went down and the direction it's going. We're going to get all that. I have a story up on it sort of where where we've been, where it's going uh, up now on both Brian Callahan and Dan Pitcher and the quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator and potentially more. So all of that stuff is up on the site. You can go read that now, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff of, of what's been going on over the last you know couple of weeks and, and what conversations are happening right now. Um, exciting news, Dave. Mock offseason drops tomorrow, unless some other big news happens. <laughs> we were it was supposed yeah. to come out today, and then we're like, well, yeah. we're not gonna put it out today when we've got all this, you know, Cali and Pitcher stuff to to go. So we pushed it back a day. So tomorrow you get the mock off season drop. The sheets will be yours. The freak in the be yeah. a freak in the sheets. <laughs> I was excited to share my amazing moves that were going to take the Bengals to glory, but I'll I'll hold off on that till next week. Maybe we could do an emergency pod tomorrow once Maybe. we both once it comes out. Maybe no, we won't. We won't do that. Uh, we will, <laughs> but we will. We will get into the mock off season and 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 all of that uh, soon enough. Um, all right, let's talk about it. Brian Callahan to the Tennessee Titans as their head coach. Um, 
he is the first coordinator plucked from Cincinnati during now now five seasons here uh, with the Bengals after being sort of Zach Taylor's right hand man since 2019, and it's it's honestly crazy that it's taken this long. I it's we we've sort of I feel like uh we're we're just beating the drum here for a long time, but it is it never happens that a team rises from the ashes for even one year, much less multiple years of sustained success and yeah. keeps their staff together. Like that, that stuff yeah. just doesn't have really the chiefs were the only other example with spags and the enemy there for that run. Yeah. And it's just so wild how, how the Bengals were sort of immune to this. It was, it was inevitable that this was going to happen and, and it did. And Brian Callahan lands in Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, you look at like the, the Ravens right now, it's like the yeah. first year defensive coordinator or what is it? Second year he's first or second year. He's already a hot commodity. Anybody who's winning their guys are all hot commodities right now. So yeah, it is kind of unique that everybody's stuck together that long, but um we all thought it was going to be Hanaruma last year, and yeah. <laughs> now it's Brian Callahan. But uh, yeah, he got some looks last year, but it seemed like he was really there. Were a lot of teams showing a lot of interest in him this year. Yeah, it's funny, you know. And I I went on with our good friend in Tennessee, Joe Rexroad, on his radio show this morning, and I was kind of saying that, I was like, you know, it, it's it is this thing where the success of who Burrow is and was coming in here devalued in some ways the outside perception of the job done by Brian Callahan and yeah. guys like Dan Pitcher and Zach Taylor. And and not until Jake Browning came out and they were able to make moves to get him going did it seem like the outside perception changed a little bit around. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe if you can do that. And when in actuality, like, it's far more impressive the evolution they made over the seasons when Burrow was the quarterback the entire time of changing things to fit him to make the entire offense work and evolve the scheme than the fact that they found a way to make Jake Browning cook a little bit you know it's just but that's but yeah. that's how the game works right I mean your perception right. is the reality in the job in the job world of the promotion world so I just it's it's kind of fascinating how that how that went down for him but I think I think it's a good fit. Tennessee was focused on him from day one. I mean, they yeah. they liked him. They they liked the idea of bringing in, you know, the opposite of Mike Rabel. Um, yeah. In every way. I mean, from Mike Rabel is super intense in the offseason. He is super intense every day. It's it, he's def, he's a defensive coach. He's more old school, old school Patriots way kind of mentality. And you bring in what are the ever the opposite of all those things I just said is this is Brian Callahan, right? Light in the offseason quarterback guy knows offense. Um, he's he's much more new school in terms of the way culture is built um, and 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 relationships are forming. I think Mike Vrabel is a great coach, but you would understand why they would move on from a great coach like Mike Vrabel. It's not because they don't believe he's a good coach. It's because they just see things going in a different direction. And that's why Brian Callahan made so much sense for them because he is the opposite direction candidate there. 
if you looked at what, how it went down with Brabel there, um, Amy Strunk very much was clashing with him, but she had brought in her own GM the previous year. And it seemed like Vrabel wasn't totally on board with the new GM and thinking he could do the job. You bring in Brian Callen and what you've seen is a coaching staff in a front office that have been very harmonious here. So I have to think that was a huge selling point for him was look, we're not, we're not having this friction. We're not having our coaches fighting with our front office. We're, we're all in sync. And I, you know, it seems like his personality jives with that too, as a guy that is going to get along with people and make things smooth. So from that standpoint, I think it, it should be a pretty good fit. Bengals play the Titans next year in Nashville. Cause I think they have to every year. I think the league is somehow ob- obligated this. I I'm cool with it. I like going to Nashville. I like trips that are drives. Uh, so shout out to the schedule makers for always doing this, but uh, <laughs> they have another one next year and it'll be of yeah. a much different feel as you'll have uh, Brian Callahan on the other side. I'm curious to see, I'm not going to dive. I'm not going to turn this into hear those Titans growling, but like, you know, I, I'm curious to see what he does there as far yeah. as with Will Levis and, uh, and with, with building his staff, I, you get the feeling that he's, his dad is going to come with him. And yeah. and we've said that from on here many times. I mean, from day one, it's been, that'd be a heck of a one-two punch to bring in maybe the best offensive line coach in the game and a, a, a young quarterback offense whisperer type as as your your number one and number two jobs. I mean, his DC will be another one, but there's a lot of proven DCs that are out there right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, who knows who it'll be? I mean, there's just, there's a bunch. And so, we see that often. So what does that all look like? I'm I'm really curious to see how he does in Nashville. I don't that's certainly not a bare cupboard, I don't think. Um I'm sure the Bengals will be like, Can you trade it? Can you trade Jeffrey Simmons for nothing? <laughs> we we'll we will see how it goes. And and uh congratulations to to Brian Callahan to do to put in the work and, and was really I mean, generally just underappreciated because of his role, because he wasn't a play caller, because of Burrow. And I think didn't get anywhere near enough attention for the effect that he had on this in, in entire thing, basically working hand in hand with Zach Taylor, rebuilding it from, from the ground. So, okay. So the question, what's next here? Is anybody going with him? Um, I, I don't, it doesn't appear that we're going to see a bunch of coaches going with Brian Callahan. I mean, Zach Taylor didn't bring anyone from LA when he came here. Um, so, and you don't necessarily see like staffs move, right? Maybe, maybe yeah. some, uh, maybe you could find a, a couple of, of the younger guys or whatever, but you're, they're not going to be, you're not going to have a bunch of people moving. Dan Pitcher is not going with him who we're about to get into here in a second. Um, I don't Troy Walters seems pretty happy here. He hasn't shown up in much of the offensive coordinator interviews uh this year, but um he seems pretty happy here and seems pretty happy at coaching wide receivers here. Um and and the and nobody on the you know, maybe Luana Rumo is not gonna go with him. You know, I mean that's so you're you're still you're you're not looking at a bunch of Bengals coaches going with Brian Callahan. Um Higgins is not going with him. We've talked about that in French. And that was the, another thing that they asked in Tennessee. Are they going to get T Higgins? No, I'm, I hate, <laughs> I hate to be the one to have to come on here 
and say this, but Higgins is going to get at the very least a franchise tag. So sorry, I hate. I, sorry, um, no, no return to Tennessee for T. Higgins. Um, so the Bengals though have this offense coordinator position open. Um, we know the succession plan; it has been in place for a long time. Dan Pitcher is the guy here. Um, they have to make him the guy. That's the only thing that stands in between the Bengals putting Dan Pitcher on the podium tomorrow to talk to us and potentially having the worst case scenario of losing both Brian Callahan and Dan Pitcher. Dan Pitcher is currently touring. Uh, you can see him in Boston, New Orleans, <laughs> and a rock block in Vegas. Uh, he's, <laughs> he will, is, will Jay Morrison be at any no, of those? Well, he's not, he's not coming to the Hamilton Amphitheater. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but no, uh, he, he's talking to the Patriots. He's talking to the Saints. He's talking to the Raiders. They are all interviewing him for their open offensive coordinator positions. I'll, I'll say this. Dan Pitcher could have been the Bucks' offensive coordinator last year. Thought the best place for him was in Cincinnati and came back here, even as a quarterback's coach, because everyone saw the writing on the wall that Brian Callahan was probably going to get a job. And mm-hmm. there was no place that made more sense for his future than coaching Joe Burrow as an offensive coordinator in Cincinnati. That was a decision that was made last year. If you're looking for insight into how Dan Pitcher has viewed this, has that changed now? We don't know. No one knows that but him um, as he talks to places like the Patriots and Saints and Raiders. But if you want to be a head coach, and all these guys do, and Dan Pitcher does, and I think he's set up to do so, what is your clearest path? <laughs> yeah. Is it? Is it being an offensive coordinator here where Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan both got head coaching jobs without being a play caller? Coaching Joe Burrow, potentially making a Super Bowl run. Or is it, I don't know, are you taking over for some rookie that you don't know about and coaching with some guy you don't know in the Patriots or going to the Saints? You don't know Dennis Allen. You don't know Derek, what you're going to be able to do with Derek Carr. Are you going to stake your future on turning around Derek Carr? Are you going to go to the Raiders? Well, are you going to like, are you going to invest in Aiden O'Connell? Like, what? I mean, what? 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 And with the <laughs> Saints, with the Saints, you have a potential lame duck coach there, anyhow. So if you go in with Dennis Allen and he's gone after this coming year, you're probably gone with him. So yeah. the security there immediately is kind of shaky. Yeah, and but, I just I yeah. so I don't you know where that where that lands. I don't know, but I think this comes down to just the Bengals paying what they need to pay here now is mm-hmm. could this be a leverage play sure everybody's leverage play it's leverage season baby okay everybody's <laughs> everybody's out here talking to everybody agents are dropping stuff that national types are talking about people in very glowing lights and how close they are to this and that because everyone's in leverage season so could this be part of it yeah could he be actually weighing those opportunities of course he is does that mean he still wants to come back here Probably because I think we all see that that is the best option, but the Bengals have to assure it's the best option. And that means paying him accordingly. I think that they will. Um, but we, you never know anything for sure until it's done. And so for me, 
that's kind of you know where where the pitcher situation stands that everybody knows this is plan 1A probably for both sides um but it still has to be executed as such yeah well knowing him and knowing the front office as you do how how dangerous does that get if they drag their feet on this and try to get too much into pinching pennies on negotiation well i mean it's pretty pretty risky with those other teams sniffing around that like they can't silly dally too much with it yeah, well, I don't know if it's a. I, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a matter of of dilly dally, and he feels like he can't wait. I think it's just going to be a matter of going back to them and saying, "Okay, th- their point being, find the best you can find. Go, go out, see what you got. Come back mm-hmm. to us, tell us what you have, and them going where they need to go then to to make that work for him and 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 match mm-hmm. an offer or." Whatever, wherever that lands, I and I so I don't think that's is, that's an issue. Now, if he were to bolt, if he were to leave, now now they're in a in a spot, and and that's mm-hmm. when I think then they go outside um, rather than promote from within because I don't I I don't I just don't see anybody else. I know Troy Walters has there's a lot of love for him, but I think they really I think there's a lot of lo- there's a lot of liking what he is as the receivers coach on both sides there, I think they go outside at that point if pitcher were to leave. Um, But I don't think I also, you know, I don't think they're planning on it getting to that. Um, So, so we'll see, we'll see on that. Um, Also, Brad Cragthorpe seems to be front runner for the quarterback coach position. He's been around five years. They moved him from receivers coach to assistant uh, from assistant receivers to assistant quarterback last year when all this kind of got set in line, this plan. And so it seems like, and, and Zach Taylor has spoken glowingly about putting more and more on Cragthorpe's plate to make sure he's ready. So that, that being in the room, working with Burrow, making sure that's good, gaining more trust and confidence in that position seems like that would make all the sense in the world that, that he would be the guy there. Okay. Let's bring in uh, our good friend from ESPN 1530, Mo Egger to join us. What's up, Mo? Hi. What's going on? Oh, nothing. We're just, I was saying it's leverage season. Like if you've ever, it's leverage season, Mm. you know, you've ever, have you ever been in one of these spots where like, where it's always like, okay, whether it's like, you know people, and they're like, hey, I got some career questions. Can you give me some career advice? It's like, here's what I'm thinking. I think I pit this guy against that guy, and that's how I'm going to get more money. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. I did, it, it can get turned into real risky business real quick. As somebody who's never had any leverage in his life, <laughs> and as somebody who, if you ask me for career advice, it's you really need to reexamine things. Uh, I'm I'm always amused. I've always amused when I hear somebody go, you know what? I, I think I got some leverage here. Like, well, let me know how it works out for you. I know yeah. it does. <laughs> leverage. Nothing goes bad quicker than career leverage. No. Can you I know. tell you why I'm happy today? I'm happy for, for Brian Callahan. There you go. I'm happy because since Brian Callahan became the Bengals offensive coordinator, every single time I have referenced him on the air, if you've listened closely, you've heard this slight pause. Or in my head, Brian, not Bill, Brian, Bill, Bill, Brian, Brian, Brian. Okay, it's Brian Callahan, yes. And now I don't have to do that anymore. 
I'm just happy. I the only thing that I would have wished for you is that they then would have hired Bill O'Brien to work with him. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> so you've got Bill Callahan, Brian Callahan, and Bill O'Brien all on the same oh staff. Goodness. That's what I need oh. in your life. Nope. Um nope. I, uh, let me let me uh, I'm gonna start I want to start this conversation here. Mo, congratulations. You are Dan Pitcher. Uh what are you doing? Are you are you realistically is is there a, a path that you like of going elsewhere if you if you were to get an opportunity, if you were to get those an offer to be the offensive coordinator with a defensive head coach? You are the play caller, you are the man in control of the offense, you are the you know, Ben Johnson to Dan Campbell, so to speak, whatever that, however you want to view that. Mm-hmm. Do you like that? Are you doing that? Are you more interested, any at all interested in that? Or is it, hey, Joe Burrow's here and I know this job? Option B. Yeah. In the short term, I can win a ring here. I believe that. In the short term, I can win a ring here. And even if we don't, I can be the latest to enjoy the benefits of the Burrow effect which you and I have talked about since basically day one that Joe showed up. I just watched Brian Callahan, who shed the the stigma of not calling plays, become a head coach. Uh, I don't know how well-equipped he is to succeed in, in Nashville. I don't know. It feels to me like watching that from afar, that whatever issues they've had there were the result of a, a misalignment between the head coach and the general manager. Hopefully, Brian doesn't have that issue, and I hope he does well. But if I'm Dan Pitcher, I go, okay. So Brian Callahan got a chance to be here through two and 14. Guess what? We're not going to be two and 14 this year. He had to groom uh, Joe Burrow year one uh, in the COVID year. And, and, and okay, I'm not going to have to do that. I walk into a situation where I have Joe Burrow. I've got really good offensive weapons. I have an offensive line that has been rebuilt. And yet if this offense really takes off, I'm still going to get a lot of credit. And if I do, uh, a head coaching opportunity is is going to come is going to come my way. I, I just the ripple effects of Joe Burrow uh, coming to Cincinnati and being a star continue to spread, and uh, I I want to be included in that uh, in those ripple effects if that makes sense. Absolutely, and it's it's a known quantity. Yeah, you live here. You know this staff. You know everyone you're working with. You know how to succeed and make it and make it work in your biggest opportunity of your career. And and the only thing that would be held against you is the play caller thing. And you've now had Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan both get head coaching jobs without being a play caller. You've seen that happen, and we also know how differently sort of the play caller thing is viewed here where you, where it is this collaborative thing where there is more than I just don't. And how many you, and you don't even have to be a play caller to be a head coach. Like we've seen that happen places before. When you look at Nick Sirianni with, with Shane Steichen, when they went to the Super Bowl, like I, I just, I don't buy the idea of being a play caller elsewhere as that big of a of a draw i know it matters but to me it's 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 a small sliver of the overall job yeah that i just i that i did i don't think it's it overwhelms the rest of the stuff that is in favor of staying in cincinnati 
I think as fans, it's the part of coaching that we love to dissect the most and maybe think we'd be best at, which is comical. And so it's what we focus most on. I would wonder if you were to, and maybe this is somebody, something that's that, that someone's done, but if you were to canvas all the people in hiring positions in the NFL and, and ask them, where would you prioritize play calling experience as you vet candidates to be your head coach? I think, I think it would be interesting. And my guess is that I'm sure, you know, everybody's different. So some are going to prioritize it more than others. My guess is it's reasonably low on the list. Mm-hmm. My, my guess is, is it a factor? It, it can't not be, but my guess is compared to a lot of other different things, it's, it's reasonably low on the list. And I mean, I just, I don't know. There, there's a long line of, of coordinators on both sides of the ball who called plays had carte blanche with uh, their respective systems and, and got to be head coaches and the job ended up being too big for them. Right. Um, it's not the most fair comparison, but arguably the greatest defensive coordinator of all time is Dick LeBeau. And Dick LeBeau was a disaster as a head coach. Now he was in the prehistoric Bengals and uh, we understand the, the reasons why it didn't work out, go beyond him, but he was a train wreck of a head coach. And he's in the Hall of Fame in large part because of his work as a, of a de- as a defensive coordinator in multiple uh, cities and mo- across multiple eras. And so uh, to me, it's more about leadership, culture establishment and alignment with the, the personnel person and, you know, having an impact and how the roster is going to be shaped and hiring a staff and making sure the staff has the same vision. A lot of stuff that sounds really cliche, but as cliche as that stuff sounds, I think that stuff matters equally as important, if not more important than the, the mechanics of calling plays. Yeah. And I mean, and it's kind of, it's kind of a similar conversation as the, you know, hiring a defensive coordinator versus an offensive coordinator. I think there's a lot of other parts of that discussion where that favors the offensive guy, but you need a leader. Like if, if the best leader and the best leader of your organization, it happens to have a defensive background, then cool. Right. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, you look at D'Amico Ryans and and what's happened with C.J. Stroud. Now, we'll see if Bobby Slowick moves on, if C.J. Stroud has a dip. And that's sort of the pitfalls of the offensive guy. But the point is, like, there any coach that you hire who has never been a head coach before, and this goes really for almost any promotion, um, is going to have things that are going to be new to them. But all you need to, to know is that they seem – prepared for the vast majority of it and pretty prepared for the stuff that they haven't done before. And I don't know how you can look at somebody like Brian Callahan or Dan Pitcher potentially and say anything otherwise when you've been so much a part of everything that's kind of been going on here in Cincinnati. I'm somewhat skeptical of play calling whiz is going to be a great head coach. Now it does happen. Kyle Shanahan's a terrific head coach, right? Adam Gase was play calling whiz. Where's he now? Mm. Like that's a dude who I once watch. I once watched uh, sit on the sidelines with his back to the field while his team was on defense when he was the head coach of the New York Jets, and like had these weird interactions with his players when they came up to him. Like I don't know, did did John Harbaugh call plays? He was a special teams coordinator. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm not sure if he even has a headset on. That dude's going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, there's there's no there's no one way to do it. I mean, to me, it's. If you have play calling experience, that's really cool. That is a tiny, a tiny, tiny fraction of of what the head coaching job is is going to entail. I just, I think of the better head coaches in this league. You know, in Tennessee, they replaced Brian Cal- or they replaced Mike Vrabel with Brian Callahan, and a lot of people around the country pan the move. I have no remote idea if Mike Vrabel's ever called a play. I do know that his teams often overachieved relative to their talent. And they were really hard to play against. Um, 
And if I was starting over and I had a head coaching vacancy, he would be somebody that I would want to talk to. And I couldn't tell you about his play calling acumen. I have no remote idea. Mike Tomlin called plays in Minnesota as the defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. Now say what you want about Mike Tomlin, but that guy's had an uber successful run. I don't identify him with play calling. I identify him with a lot of other positive attributes and some negative stuff, but a lot of other positive attributes. I'm, I'm always somewhat skeptical of play calling genius is going to be a great head coach. Play calling genius is great. And if you can bring that element to the job and then you have all the other characteristics you need, you're probably going to have a lot of success. It feels to me like, again, Kyle Shanahan is a play calling genius, but I watch the 49ers from afar and you know, they're innovative and part of that's play calling, but Holy hell. It feels like they consistently put together really good staffs. It feels like they have a terrific general manager. He's obviously gotten Brock Purdy up to speed very, very quickly. Um, that's not play calling. That's teaching. That's coaching. That's leadership. That's example setting. It's it's making the right decisions. The play calling comes with it, and it's awesome. But when I think of his work in San Francisco coaching that team, I think of designing game plans and implementing an offense. The calling the plays part is just something that I guess goes along with it, if that, again, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, it isn't play calling scheme building. I mean, right. I mean, the fact that you say the words into the headset, uh, you know, I'll read for you something that Zach Taylor said to us that I had. Um, this was back in late December when we were talking about Callahan. Um, and he said, that's just people that don't actually know. He needs to call plays. Why? Nobody can say that. It's something people parrot out there. He's been a coordinator here for five years. He coordinates everything having to do with it. He establishes the whole structure of our offense. On game day, he and I are in constant communication. That is calling plays. That is establishing an offense. He knows everything I go through on a daily basis as a head coach. He and I both, he's as prepared as anybody can be prepared for it. Saying the words into the headset is not calling plays. Building a scheme and game plans that, and knowing how to set people up with them on the fly is calling plays. And that is something yeah. that you can do here that Brian Callahan did here. Um, and I and I do think that maybe general managers and owners, maybe not owners, general managers are starting to understand that a lot better. Well, and and like if I was if I was looking at Brian Callahan specifically as a candidate, I couldn't care less about the play calling. What I would want to know, I, I would want to know three things based on his time in Cincinnati. First of all, walk me through the process of getting Joe Burrow ready to go week one is rookie season when you had to teach him the offense while he's sitting on his parents' couch in Athens. That would be number <laughs> one. Number two would be you guys made the Super Bowl in spite of a train wreck of an offensive line. Walk me through the process of designing a game plan on Monday and Tuesday of that week in, in hard regular season games and in playoff games, knowing your offensive line was not even wasn't going to be an asset. It was going to be a liability. Walk me through that. How did you get your offense to function? Yeah, you have Joe Burrow, but you have this this group of guys, many of whom never played in the NFL again, kind of take me through ensuring that the offense could still work well enough to win playoff games, road playoff games. Let's talk about that. And then I would say, let's go through how you changed what you were doing offensively when you had a completely inexperienced quarterback and Jake Browning. Like, I don't think in those three situations, the, the offensive coaching staff, and we'll, we'll include Zach Taylor, we'll include Dan Pitcher, we'll, we'll include Frank Pollock if you want, and we'll obviously include Brian Callahan. I think in those three uh, sets of circumstances, 
the offensive coaching staff deserves credit for for getting the job done. Like, you know, there were some things when Jake Browning was the quarterback that we kind of questioned in terms of like run the ball more, use Chase Brown, but they got a completely inexperienced quarterback up to speed, ready to go. And they adjusted the offense to his strengths and it looked and was executed different than the offense they use with Joe Burrow. That's the ability to adjust that that's the ability to make quick decisions, quick changes to really be prepared during the week. That's not calling plays, Mm -hmm. you know, again, getting back to, what they did with the offense in 2021, you know, okay. It was frustrating watching them offensively and Joe Burrow deserves a ton of credit for taking a bunch of hits and not turning the ball over. But to this day, I have felt like that was an example of elite coaching. This offensive line stinks. We can't make it not stink. We still have to function. And they didn't put up 40 points every week, but they functioned well enough to win an AFC title. I would want to know from Brian Callahan, if I'm in a hiring capacity what was that like? Walk me through that. And same with getting Joe ready in 2020. Um, none of that or very little of it has anything to do with calling the play on second and seven. And all of that is without even touching on the fact of being on the ground floor of saying, how do we take this franchise that's a laughing stock and change that? How do we find people that treat football differently than the ones that are here now? How do we... How do we do that in a place where the ownership group has to be convinced of a lot of things? You know, how do you do that? And 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 then executing it to the point where they're in the Super Bowl in a couple of years, yeah. talking about how great the culture is and how everybody wants to come play here and how it's just not like this everywhere else. And and like that is understanding how to communicate, understanding the type of people you need to be investing in, understanding what makes it all work, understanding how to get the elite quarterback and have him play the role that he's comfortable in playing and building things around him, not just on the field, but off it. And all of that is part of coordinating is part of. And so for Dan pitcher, yeah. uh, for, For, for Brian Callahan, to me, it's the same in that that is really, I think, where you – when you're sitting in that chair across from GM and owner, I want to be able to explain that stuff far more than I want to go to the whiteboard and tell them about four verts on third and nine. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I could have brought a whiteboard and we could have done that if you wanted to. Oh, could you? Yeah. Could you, well, you know what? Could you, I, you do? Know, a, I, could you I bring did. a whiteboard and we just do run fits? We could do run fits. Remember, I diagrammed <laughs> – the, the shovel pass on this podcast last year. Hopefully he didn't start with the shovel pass. Uh, yeah, that, in, that actually would be my first question. Brian, in your playbook, is there a shovel pass? <laughs> shovel actually, pass. I've got a couple. All right, nice talking to you. See ya. Do you even go question. to Stanley Morgan? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> at any point in, during any game, will you call a shovel pass? Well, you know, it sort of depends on the situation. Eh, nope. Sorry. <laughs> See ya. Uh, no, like if I'm Dan Pitcher, I've seen how it works. I've worked in this system. I have Joe Burrow. I'm going to have some really good offensive talent and a team next year that no matter what happens this offseason, I'm more bullish, I think, than most. I think they can win the whole thing next year. Yeah. I, I want to benefit from all of that instead of walking into the unknown. And, you know, you also know here you're you're probably going to get multiple cracks at it, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, at, you're, at, you know, at some point, you got to right. feel like it comes together. And if 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 you're the offensive coordinator – uh, when the Bengals win the Super Bowl and you already have the buzz surrounding your name that 
pitcher has. Um, you're a head coach. You're you're Ben Johnson today. You're picking your job, right? right? Like that's that's what I you know that would be the least surprising thing is if the the Bengals make a deep run next year, and people talk about Dan Pitcher the way they currently talk about Ben Johnson, and that is play calling or not play calling. Okay, just I, right. I just for that fact, I I don't know that you can say that confidently at all about any of those other gigs about. Patriots, Saints, Raiders, like what what's your path? Yeah. You know what I mean? What's just yeah. what's your path to the next step there? And, and and maybe it is, maybe it is you go in and and I found a way to make who well, I guess the Patriots are gonna take a quarterback. Like you gotta you you gotta develop Drake May. Guess what? If Drake May ends up being Sam Darnold, you are <laughs> out. The shine is gone, bro. Right. It's over. Right. So it's just that's that's what ends up happening to you. So for that fact, I don't, I don't see it. All right. Also, if I, also if I'm Dan Pitcher, uh, a guy that I follow on Twitter by the name of uh, Kevin McCune tweeted this out that multiple outlets, and I know this is an audio medium, have used Dan Pitcher, his picture, in yes. announcing that Brian Callahan has been hired. So if I'm Dan Pitcher, I'm like, you guys already think I'm Brian <laughs> Callahan. Now I'm just going to move into his job. Like the the branding is kind of already there. Yes. Pro Football Focus did this. Fox NFL did this. A few other outlets have. We have did done it. this too. You guys did it. Yeah. I. I'm. Here's the best part of this. I have been making fun of this yeah. for for as for, since the very beginning. Somewhere, somewhere in the you know this is behind the scenes a little bit yeah. in the archives the the like photo wires that are out uh-huh. there. Somebody had a heyday marking every Dan Pitcher photo as Brian Callahan. <laughs> I don't know who did it or why, uh, or if they were just quitting and they're like, this is my final straw. I'm going to just blow up the system. <laughs> but somewhere this happened. And so everybody that puts a photo in that doesn't know who that person looks like, just going off the way it is tagged on the photo is doing it. And I've been making fun of it. I made fun of it one last time when PFF did it upon Brian Callahan being hired as the head coach. And like 20 minutes later, our social account fired off one with Brian, with Dan pictures, Brian. And I'm like, Oh man, dude, quickly got it taken down and fixed, but everybody did. I mean, it's just, somewhere in these wires can we just now that he's a head coach can someone go in and edit those to have the proper name attached to them can we just, can we just a, do that just get him a picture of him in his titans polo at the introductory press conference and we're good yeah <laughs> i really want in titans gear now for it to always yes like we just need to we need to find a way to make this work maybe we get a couple of pictures of dan pitcher in titans gear we'll just take it We'll take it on the side, tag it, slip it into the system, and we'll be all good. I like that. Uh, Mo, I appreciate your time. I will see you this afternoon on ESPN 1530 from 3 to 4, and uh, we can we can talk more about this. We're going to talk more about this. You're not going to be uh, maybe here when I hear. I just quickly want to show you what I've been doing today. Is that a blank piece of paper? Well, I mean, it's the my camera. You, you see all oh, that? Oh, okay. It's, just very, it's written very lightly. You know what this is? You know what, the, you know what I did this morning? I went back and looked at the national ranking of the UC basketball team in free throw shooting percentage oh, every year no. since do this it. data was tracked. Don't do it. This is how I've spent my morning. This is what I've done with myself. That is a dark place, Mo. It is worse than you think. <laughs> well, I've seen a lot of missed free throws, and it feels pretty bad 
So I can't imagine. I can't. So wait to see you better bring there. an hour of Bengals content, or else we're going to go down this rabbit hole. And I've already done this today. Do you have their layup percentage as well? Because I'd like to see that. Um, those metrics don't go back quite as far. These go yeah. back to 1993. The oh. it's painful. It Except there was this one year where they were 23rd in the country in free throw shooting percentage. Every other year, 297, 321, 253. Don't, do don't go there. I, this is what I did with my morning, oh. and I hate myself for it. <laughs> well, I look forward to that. I am actually only going to bring 45 <laughs> minutes of Bengals content because I kind of want to watch you go to the dark place in person. All right. I will see you then. See you guys. I'm out. Mo Eger, ESPN 1530. Going to the dark place with UC basketball. I mean, that piece of paper is really yeah. it tells a big it tells a much bigger story, I think, uh, than he <laughs> wants to tell. Uh all right. Uh I want to get uh a little deeper into let's see, let's go let's go to this weekend's games, shall we? Unless you have any other coaching quandaries that are out there that you think I should be getting into. I feel like we did a pretty good job of uh covering it all. Cragthorpe thing's kind of cool because he's young and it starts to create kind of a succession situation where you'd like to see those guys continue to graduate up. But in the short term, it'll be interesting just to see how that sorts out. One last nugget for you. Um, and I mentioned this in my behind the scenes story briefly um, is we, we've never seen that a coordinator need to be replaced before. And so you don't know about the structure of the overall staff. A lot of teams have these, have a passing game coordinator who's sort mm-hmm. of an intermediary between um, the OC and the quarterbacks coach, um, like a lot do. And so uh, we don't, we've, they've never needed one because they've had Ryan Callahan and pitcher and they've had, they've had these people who are in place, but you wonder, you know, with pitcher, you know, potentially being a one and doneer type, if, if they have a good year next year and Cragthorpe still being only, you know, he's only 32. Um, yeah. If if there's maybe a spot to create and a middle position there uh, with somebody in mind who who could be a future. I, again, we don't know. And and when you get into Zach Taylor, it could come from anywhere. We've seen guys come from everywhere. I mean, Justin Hill came from Tulsa to be the running backs coach. Is a great job. Troy Walters is in Nebraska. You know, he's had guys that he's plugged from act. You know, from NFL teams. His his. I would say the breadth of that position is more wide open because it's for all the reasons that were just discussed a pretty premium gig being in yeah. the shadow of Joe Burrow. So um, I think that's part of it. I go, Oh, the other thing that we didn't get into that. I know a lot of fans are talking about is Joe Brady. Yeah. Go get Joe Brady. Right. So we did in <laughs> Buffalo and Burrow's history with him. That's just not a thing that's going to happen. I know people. I, I know people want to will it into existence. First of all, I don't think he's getting out of Buffalo. I think he's got a pretty good thing going there with Josh Allen. Seems yeah. to be at least. And second of all, you know, there's got to be a mesh that that works. And I don't. I I think that's a big unknown. And I've never got the impression that there's been any desire to bring Joe Brady into the mix with Burrow at all um, since Burrow's been here and he's been available. So for, for that fact that that's not a direction that 
that that's going to happen. I preach that there. I mean, I get the conversation. I get the fun in it. Look what he did. You know, you want to bring a new jolt, new bolt, jolt of energy, but I don't, that's just not, it's not going to happen. So just to make sure we touch on that. Cause I know a lot of people are talking about it. Yeah. And if you're bringing them in, like just the fan sentiment is the history, the LSU deal, but that's because you want the relationship, but you have the relationship with pitcher and you have the relationship yeah. with Zach Taylor. So you don't need to go force a relationship in there just because it's available. And like you said, he's been available and they didn't go pounce on him. So, um, yeah, I think that name's still going to bounce around though, as long as that position's open, people are going to wonder if that's the guy. And just because you worked with, you ever, you ever see somebody who you went to college with like five years after they get out and all of a sudden there's some like, buttoned up professional with a tie right and it's like you know like from like workaholics where it's like we should were you basically <laughs> the guy eating crackers and and and, and, and t-shirt and jeans and like showing up late for the 8 a.m and it's like look a lot changes from the time that you're a kid in college and and you're a professional at the top of your game or when you're a young coach coaching in college and you've changed and now you've been through a couple of jobs like joe brady just because you have a, you should have much more faith in the relationship and adjustments that can be made uh, by Dan Pitcher being that guy uh, rather than Joe Brady coming in and being that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you don't know how he would interact with anybody else on the staff, yeah. the head coach, and on up the on up the line. Yeah. Um. So there's that. Uh, this weekend's games. You got any thoughts? You got any gut gut feels or any any reactions to last weekend's game that you want to? Uh, uh, none of none of the four teams I wanted to win won this past uh, weekend. Yeah, um, I think I'm ready to get on that Lions bandwagon. Yeah, but I'm. Do we have to play that? It's a hard Scrabble town that's wanted a winner for so long. <laughs> like I get it, I get it. But we did you also know they get, have blue collars? Yeah. Well, and we kind of forget that I'm pretty sure the Red Wings, the Tigers. The Pistons have all won titles over the last few decades, not to mention Michigan just won a title. It's not like it's been the most, uh, just as a sports town, the most hard luck sports town ever. It's just been hard luck NFL. That said, they're a fun team. You got to like what Dan Campbell's doing. You got to like that Jared Goff is kind of proving everybody wrong. So if I'm rooting for someone, I'm going for them. But it sure just feels now like it's Ravens. Niners, like everybody yeah. thought. Yeah, it feels inevitable. I thought, you know, I, I I stood on the soapbox a little bit talking about how scary Houston is last week, and I and I and I still believe I still believe that mm. was the case. But I thought the game changer in the Baltimore playoff arc happened in that third quarter, though, when that situation that that you didn't know about with Baltimore arose. They Houston gets the you know they, Houston hadn't moved the ball, but they get the punt return. And they get the unforeseen score, and now it's mm-hmm. tied at halftime. And now is now is now is tight time for for Baltimore. Now they should have come out and started. Were they going to be thinking about the pass? Were they going to be thinking about the pressure? Was this free and loose team going to find a way to start moving the ball on them and getting some scores? And and was Lamar going to tighten up on that offense? And guess what? The opposite happened. Apparently, Lamar yeah. goes in at halftime and gives a win one for the Gipper speech, and everyone comes out. And they ball out and they kind of ascend to the next level. And I thought at that moment, they left that past behind. They were no longer 
and now they're free and easy because I think now now they know like that playoff thing is ridiculous. Yeah. In the same vein of when the Bengals broke the drought, and I think you and they're just the best team. And now I don't think there's anything to worry about with them, and that includes the fact that Patrick Mahomes is coming to town this weekend. I, I feel like I feel like Baltimore sticks it to Kansas City pretty well, even though Kansas City has taken a a decent step in 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 recent weeks when you consider where they were at when the Bengals, even just when the Bengals saw them in Week 17. Yeah. It- if people get a chance, Ted Nguyen has a good X's and O's story about each how each team exercised demons in the in the in the divisional round, and he goes into the Ravens and how Lamar was always susceptible to blitzes, and how uh, they've got him set up now. Then that second half, he handled the blitz beautifully, and if he's gotten that monkey off his back, <laughs> and you you've run out of tools to try to stop Lamar Jackson. And then you combine it with that defense that I don't think we actually talk about enough. They're just ridiculous. Um, I I just don't see Kansas City getting past that. I think Kansas City, what they've done is admirable. They've they've kind of picked it back up and looked more like the Kansas City we know. But I think they're running into a buzzsaw this weekend. Yeah, I, that you never know. I mean, these weekends have had a tendency to produce crazy results, mm-hmm. um, but. I'm 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 with you. I, I I don't. I mean, I feel I'm most confident about San Francisco beating Detroit. I just think that Detroit defense, they've just given up so many passing yeah. yards, and eventually you can't overcome that. And when you now have what that San Francisco offense can be uh, going up against a defense that's just it's just not all there, and the San Francisco defense is still legit. To me, that's just the difference. I think everything else is even. But I just think the 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 Lions' pass defense is is gonna cost them, despite all the grit and blue collars <laughs> they're gonna show up with um, this weekend. Um, all right, I have I have an I have an Arby's uh, for you. So I want to went to there was a fiftieth wedding anniversary party for former Bengals PR man, longtime PR man Jack Brennan and his wife Val. Uh, this past weekend, and it was uh, in in Mount Lookout at the Redmore. It was awesome. It was a, I was honored to be there in attendance. Um, it was fantastic. It was like an all star game for Cincinnati sports writers. <laughs> I mean, where it's like just legends of the past and present. I mean, it was it was amazing just to be there. Were so many. People there just grabbing microphones and it's like, oh, Denny Jansen's on the mic over here. And it's like, <laughs> my guy, Bill Cook. And there's there's Todd Jones from Columbus. And it was like, it was over and over. Chick Ludwig's on the mic. Oh, stud. Arm, it's going to be Armageddon. <laughs> and I was just like so excited to, to see every, a lot of people I haven't seen in a long time. And it was a great time. And there were a lot of former PR interns and people from the staff there. But I want one conversation. I'm bringing this up. One conversation I wanted to point out was a couple people came up to me and they both said, "You know who we really like? We really like Dave on the podcast." Said said we I I I I think he is low key hilarious, and I'm really like, and I just wanted to make sure you knew that because you, you make stepdad jokes it. and all this other stuff <laughs> and they were like i we we love we we love dave on the pod and want to make sure that gets across so i'm here to tell you that, that was a message that was my takeaway from a night of all these people my takeaway was the love directed to you well 
I don't really believe it, but I'm going to take it. And my <laughs> my heart just grew two sizes hearing that. So I'll continue to try my hardest to just. I think you actually up. should get that checked out, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> might might be a condition. I don't know. I've almost passed out a few times because of the increased blood flow. This isn't good. <laughs> but before you die, let's get you call into your doctor. So that's like twice now we've had talked about death. It's not good. Yeah. Not yeah. Good. Can I can I throw a little bit of an Arby's in? Yeah, let's go. Arby up. Far, but Arby up. On that same day, we had a lunch that was like a mini All Star game of yeah. former and current athletic employees and uh jay morrison was there and he yeah. told us a story about a concert he was at last week in which he was <laughs> trying to curry our favor that, to tell him he was right when he stood in an empty an empty seat and the guy next to him said it was his seat and his wife and his daughter couldn't make it and then the, w- w- how would you define that back and forth it was strange wasn't it between him and this dude yeah i think jay felt like he should be allowed to stand there then <laughs> and then the guy asked him to leave and yeah. jay refused yeah and, and what he'd... sounded like it was kind of built up slowly like the guy kind of picked at him a little bit and then he was like uh you know where are you supposed to be sitting and then jay finally said well i'll give you 20 bucks for the seat and the guy goes give me 80 and jay says no and then the guy waits a while and turns and says, I think I'm going to, I prefer you leave. And Jay's <laughs> like, are you serious? And then the guy says he's going to go get security. So then Jay scurries because, you know, the fuzz. But <laughs> he turned to us as if to say, am I wrong here? And I think to a man, we all said, yeah, no, you're, you're wrong. That guy yeah. bought that space. And if he didn't want you there, you didn't, you shouldn't have been there. He, you can pay for space. If yeah. you don't have to choose <laughs> just because it's empty doesn't mean that it's available. And he's yeah. choosing space over 20 bucks. And I say, hey, I respect <laughs> his decision there. The same yeah. way I respect Jay's decision to try to get closer because most you're right. Most people don't care if you stand next to them. It's just right. the person that's next to him at the concert. But I, I think he, he was does so own thrown off. I think he was so thrown off. Somebody <laughs> would actually say it. And yeah. the, the way it built up, but it was it was fun seeing how no one was on his side. Yeah, I like, know you're you're the problem here. Oh, but. I loved it. I I and I love that Jay always has these stories. But I so I I I am all for it though. I'm I'm all for it, and I love the idea. I wish it would have landed at like so. I gave him fifty seven dollars and twenty. Well, he was very smug and proud that he had moved up to a better seat and kept yes. looking back at the guy. He said, I guess to taunt him, but I don't even know the name. It was like Pig Knuckle or something. <laughs> some band I've never heard of. <laughs> the moral the moral of the story is it always works out for Jay. Like he always, I mean, he always ends up. In you got to respect the game. I mean, there's nobody better. Nobody, nobody. Their way into a concert and then into the best seats at a concert. Elite but, in every form of also the tip of the cap to that dude for standing his ground. That was yes. that was impressive <laughs> to just say, I don't think I want you here anymore. And just I want to start like using you. that in, in real life, Dave. Like I want to <laughs> just I wish I had more ownership over space that yeah. I could just turn to someone and be like, I think I'd prefer that you leave. <laughs> <laughs> I try it with the tiny dog who somehow takes up most of the bed at night and has me on the edge. I would prefer you not to be there. Move away. <laughs> Move away. Oh, nobody owns space more than my dog. And I know that people <laughs> are listening. That The three people left listening at this point are like, <laughs> 
are like, man, oh, we're going to learn about Uncle Phil's space. He he will, the, the second you get up, take the spot on the couch and not just take the spot, but he he was curled up before. He chooses to expand. He reaches his legs <laughs> out because it's belly rub time. And he's like, you won't, you won't come and just sit here. You'll, you'll know that the only way to get your seat back is to give me the belly rub that I so desire because you are a predictable human. And sure enough, there I do. I scooch him a little yeah. bit, and I give him the belly rub that he wants. The end. Phil is smarter than all of us. He's just playing the game right. Just yeah. one last thing. I hope one of those three people that's still listening is the guy that told Jay he had to move. Locked it would be the best moment of that. If it is, life. please email me. I want to hear more from your side of the story. <laughs> and uh, I hope P. it's Day Michael Winslow from Police Academy. <laughs> That'd be even better. But Jay never mentioned any cool noises. So no, that would be great if that guy <laughs> could like just call. He'd just call me and he'd be like, Look, um, I'm gonna tell you the story, but in noise form. So then I was like, <laughs> and then he was like, and then I was like, It's all. It's and then the police were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> we're totally oh, off man. rails. All right. Where, where else are we going? But off. Doesn't it's matter. True. It doesn't matter. All right, Dave. Appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we will be back next week. Mock off season tomorrow. Get your Jeez. sheets. Put them in. Send them out to us. And uh, we will we will take a closer look and analyze them. And, and we'll talk all about the Bengals. Off-season choices. Can't wait to get in those sheets. All right. Talk to you later. Have a good one.